back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for another bonus episode and the final franchise focus for the 2023 NBA season in which we'll look at the Washington Wizards. Uh, First of all, I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show, both new and experienced listeners alike. We welcome you and appreciate your support on the show. Um, Yeah, if you're new, this is your first time, basically, uh, with our franchise focus segment we take uh, a good amount of time and we dedicate it to each individual franchise, um, you know, 30, 40 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, something like that to talk about a franchise more in detail. Basically the reason we uh, like to do this is if you think about a standard, you know, NBA regular season throughout that season, the media coverage generally will cover your, you know, top contending teams. It will cover the teams that have the best players, Um, And it will cover maybe those teams that are, you know, failing to meet expectations, those teams that exceed expectations. And um, generally that kind of group accounts for maybe about two thirds of the league, um, maybe leaving out a handful of teams. And so, you know, kind of without fail every season, there's a bevy of franchises that feel, you know, their fan bases feel, Hey, nobody ever talks about our team or our franchise. And so what we like to do is have dedicated time for each franchise. We can make sure that we cover you know, what's going on with that team. Um, and we do it in uh, three different aspects. Firstly, we look at that current team, you know, the the recent history of the team, what's the outlook of the team going forward, you know, the future of the team, question marks, things like that. Um, and then we go into the historic side of it. We talk about a historic team from that franchise's history, one that was maybe a championship winner, maybe a, a playoff contender, or maybe it was just kind of a what if story as far as the NBA, you know, what hap- What if this team could have done such and such, or what if, you know, these things happened with this team? Um, and then in our final segment, again, three parts, the, the third part, we talk about um, a notable and or legendary player from that franchise's history. It could be one of the greatest players of all time and one of the greatest players in that franchise's history. It could be someone that has been forgotten, but was important to the franchise in one way or another, even though they weren't a star player, they were notable. Um, And so, you know, we kind of, there's a spectrum there. And again, we kind of just focus on stories that are interesting and, you know, doing our best to kind of, you know, again, cover these franchises honestly and give them their, you know, their time in the sun, I suppose, for lack of a better phrase. But again, this is our final franchise focus. This is our, 30th team of our 30 franchises in the modern NBA. Um, we did it alphabetically by team mascot, if you will. And the wizards, you know, the last of those, the warriors just before them started off with the 76ers. And, um, you know, if you'll remember early on, we did a bunch of bonus episodes in, in lumps, um, around the all-star break. We did a ton of the franchise focuses at that point because, um, the plan originally was to do one every week on Thursday. And um, that would account for 25 of the 30 franchise focus episodes um, with a 25 week regular, you know, NBA regular season. And we'd have, you know, the occasional bonus episode here and there, but with the, uh, the rough early start we had to the podcast, um, there was a period of a few weeks where we didn't do the podcast at all. Um, a period of time where we struggled to get consistently doing the podcast. And so that really threw things off and we were kind of playing catch up the whole, uh, whole rest of the way. So that was an impact as far as franchise focus in general. But I think um, as with most things with the podcast, it's been a learning experience. I think generally 
the franchise focus has been really enjoyable to do, you know, for me to be able to focus on each team, kind of take myself into the, you know, if I was a a fan of this team, how would I feel about the current direction? You know, what's the outlook? And then, you know, diving into that team's history, every team in the NBA, um, regardless of overall franchise success or, you know, the time that that franchise has been around, whether it's, a team like the Knicks that have been there from the beginning or a team like the uh, the Pelicans that are practically the newest team in the NBA. You know, every team has an interesting history to talk about. And, um, you know, it's a big part of the show. Of course, our show is all about, you know, we're covering the modern NBA, but we like to add that historic edge to it. You know, for me in particular, I feel like that's where some of my best NBA knowledge comes is that historic perspective. And so, um, you know, I think... If we're talking about going forward, this segment is definitely going to be a part of the show in the future. We might, uh, you know, rework it a little bit as far as the exact structure um, and things of that nature. But I think we'll do certain elements of this in the future, because, again, I like the chance we have to talk about every franchise in in some detail. So um, definitely look for it going forward. But again, right now we're just doing our franchise focus for the Washington Wizards um, to wrap those up. And we start, of course, with the current teams. Um, recent years, their direction and their outlook going forward. <clears throat> Again, I do apologize. My voice, I, I'm recording this right after we did our normal Friday episode and, uh, I'm feeling better since that episode, you know, had time to get, get a drink, recover my voice, but by the end, I might be about where I was at the end of the Friday episode. So again, I, I you know, apologize and I appreciate your patience with me, but, um, you know, back to the original point, the current wizards franchise, is um, one of those teams or the handful of them we talked about this year where, you know, there's not really a clear roadmap for what this team is trying to do going forward. Um, I feel kind of weird saying that they've had the same exact records the past two season, uh, two seasons, excuse me, 35 and 47, both this season and the prior season. Um, and it's a win percentage of four two seven, not terrible below 500, but you know, they're a team that's consistently been either, you know, play in tournament or just outside the playoffs. I mean, 2021, they were 34 and 38, um, a slightly abbreviated schedule, still below 500, but a bit better overall record. Um, and they had some play in tournament success, got into a first round matchup with the Sixers and then lost in that series. But that was with Russell Westbrook when he was at the tail end of his kind of prime years. Since then, it's been, um, an interesting mix. When we look at the current team, um, Bradley Beal, of course, is still the the stalwart. He's been with the franchise for going on probably 10 plus years at this point. Um, and he's been consistent. He's been stellar. Last couple seasons, not quite as much. He's been limited with some injury troubles. Um, but before that, you know, three-time All-Star, um, one of the best scorers in the NBA, great shooter overall. And, um, you know, he's kind of a big determining factor for this team's future. Outside of him, they've had some guys that have been out, you know, outperforming some expectations, mainly Kristaps Porzingis and Kyle Kuzma. You know, those are the two stars alongside Bradley Beal. Kuzma averaging about 21 points a game, seven rebounds and close to four assists. And he's an underrated guy, a, you know, three, four tweener. He can play both positions and have some advantages at either spot. And then Porzingis, who's really kind of been, you know, defined as a center in his recent years where he was more of a power forward coming out uh, in the draft. He had a great season too. 
Um, you know, 23 points a game, eight rebounds, about three assists, um, one and a half blocks, one steal. So good all round play. That stretch ability is great too, you know? And so that core, I don't really have a problem per se with that core and especially the age, um, you know, all those guys, uh, late twenties, that's not bad. You know, if you're looking to build a competitive team soon with that core, that's not terrible. You know, you could within the next year or two, um, work on getting the right pieces around, make sure the coaching's correct. And then you've got, you know, I think you've got a decently competitive team in the Eastern conference, you know, but um, I think if your next player, next best player outside of Beal and Porzingis, you know, those two guys are solid, not, you know, incredible at this point in their careers, but they're solid, you know, but then Kuzma, I'm just not sure they have enough, you know, they need some more kind of star power. I feel like, um, I don't mind their depth either. I kind of like what they've got going here with some of their pieces. Corey Kispert, the sophomore, he was a standout, of course, in college at Gonzaga. He's become a three-point marksman. Uh, Great fit for the modern NBA. Monte Morris, who was their starting point guard, of course, a longtime backup in Denver. He was all right. You know, I think long-term he would probably be, again, best suited as that backup spot, a very, you know, good backup point guard. Denny Avia had some moments. You know, he emerged as a great rebounder along with some decent scoring touch. Um, <clears throat> DeLon Wright, still very underappreciated as a backup guard, especially his defensive ability as a ball hawk. He's been great there. Um, of course, they trade Rui Hachimura at the trade deadline to the to the Lakers. They get back uh, Kendrick Nunn, who's okay-ish. You know, he's uh, seemed like he's had kind of his best years, um, his best season or two that he had with Miami and so on. So Nunn, I'm not sure if he's a long-term factor for this team. Um Daniel Gafford's been good too. I mean, limited minutes guy starts a good amount of games, but in his minutes he plays, he's very productive, good rebounder, good shot blocker, good inside presence. Um, And then Johnny Davis, the rookie, you know, injured much of the year, didn't really have a chance to, to play and develop with this team. But um, again, overall, it's just a weird mix because they're just in this weird gray area where they have plenty of solid players. They have some talent that's intriguing, Generally, they're fairly young, but um, they seem a little bit directionless still as far as what that roadmap is to being, you know, I think if they wanted to, I'm sure the roadmap is very easy for we'd like to be consistently in the play in tournament, maybe even, you know, five, six seed in the playoffs. I'm sure that's easy. And, you know, and that's probably something in terms of the moves, you know, to make that a better opportunity. I'm not saying it's easy to be you know, to build a a contender or to build a team in the NBA. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying for those who are experienced as general managers, they know the moves they need to make if they want to just limit themselves to, okay, we're a competitive team. We're making the playoffs in the East. Um, And, you know, a first round exit, who cares? We're in the playoffs, right? I'm sure for them, they know they can get there, you know, uh, they have a good chance of getting there with some moves and, you know, but they probably, you know, I'd like to think that every team in the NBA is trying to build long-term towards championship contention. And that for the Wizards, I think is an odd spot because again, Beal, Porzingis, Kuzma, I like that group as a decent competitive team, but as far as a contending team, I'm not so sure. I think Beal, of course, would be your best player for that kind of a team. Porzingis, maybe Kuzma, maybe not so much. Um, and so what does the roadmap look for look like for getting, you know, better in the future? Um, 
you know, the first thing would maybe be questioning, uh, making sure you're in the right, uh, you know, head coach front office type position right now, their current, um, excuse me, their current GM is Tommy Shepard. He's been there since, um, 2019, April of 2019. Um, and so his, tenure with the team so far has not been overly successful. They've been below 500 that whole span. Not sure if that's a direct reflection on his abilities, but um, it's not the best early returns, I guess you could say. And then their head coach is Wes Unseld Jr. You know, it's interesting, of course, his father, Wes Unseld, was a fantastic player in the franchise's history. Maybe, you know, if not him, he's, you know, one of the top two, three greatest players in the Wizards history. That's an easy thing to say, but um his dad, you know, post-playing career, he also coached the then Bullets franchise for a while. And now Unsell Jr., who has been in the NBA for a long time as an assistant coach. He was an associate head coach in 2021 with Denver. He's now been the head coach in Washington for two seasons, and it's been the same result both times. So, again, both of those roles, coach and GM, are fairly early, but they've had a little bit of experience. And so I think you can start to be a little bit more, you know, you can scrutinize and, you know, look for those fine details as far as are those guys the best long-term fits for your franchise? That's just the general, you know, I think that's a big question for them going forward. And then outside of that, you know, do they make some moves that would hurt the team short-term, but give them better draft positioning, allow them to get some better talent in the future, you know? There's an argument to be made either way. You know, you can build a couple different ways in the modern NBA. You don't have to just strip it back and build through the draft. If you can make the right free agency pitch, you can rebuild very quickly through that structure. And so, um, but of course they need to figure out what that plan is. They should get a pretty decent pick this season. Of course, you know, having missed the playoffs, they should be, you know, a top 10 type of lottery position. Um, not the top of the group where you have your, you know, what should be your franchise saving type players. Um, this draft, it's projected to be your, of course, your Victor Wenbanyama, but maybe after that, you know, a Scoot Henderson, a Brandon Miller, some of those type of guys. But um, so they're not going to be picking that high, but they should still be in pretty decent draft position. Um, maybe they make some trades as far as that goes. They trade some players to teams that need it, that, you know, teams that have higher draft positions solely due to, their own trading maneuvers teams, maybe that don't, you know, maybe they're more contending type teams, but then you make a trade to to move up. Hopefully that makes sense. But um, yeah, you know, for the wizards fans out there um, it's, I'm sure disappointing to have been, you know, this far removed from their best recent years, which was the, the John wall, Bradley Beal, you know, that 2017 team, I mean, they were a four, I believe they were a four seed in the East. They had every chance to make a deep playoff run. Um, and I think they won their first round series, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, you know, that's been five or six years ago at this point, uh, or even longer. And now they're, you know, just a team. They have Beal still, but they've just kind of lost the clear direction that they had. And so for a Wizards fan, I'm sure it's dis- discouraging, disappointing, but... Um, you know, I think the franchise has enough of a history and there's a good enough fan support there that um, they, they, I think they're going to find their way to success at some point, you know, maybe it's another few years before they're back into a consistent playoff appearance, but um, 
And I think they'll find their way. And again, it's tough to say that to a fan, you know, fan perspective, of course, several years removed and you feel like your team isn't going anywhere, but um, again, they've got some pieces. I think that they have, you know, some room to work with. They have the ability to get better a little bit more quickly than maybe some other teams who are tied to some big contracts and things of that nature. So, um, you know, I would just say um, it's, you know, I understand it's not the best scenario, but um, just keep an eye on those, you know, those coaching and executive type positions. Those I think would just be your biggest, you know, uh, points of emphasis as far as trying to get better in the near future. But that's my general take on the current Wizards franchise. Um, <clears throat> that being said, let's go ahead and shift into our historic team that we're going to focus on. And for the the Wizards, I'm taking the same approach as the Trailblazers to an extent. I wanted to talk about their title team because it's different, though, in this circumstance because of the Wizards, you know, with the name change, with the some of the teams that they've had in the past, it's easy to forget that they at one point were one of the more consistent contending teams in the NBA and they were a champion in 1978. Um, they were the regular season record wasn't you know unbelievable, they were 44 and 38, second in their division, you know, decent playoff positioning, but probably not a pick that many people had for a championship. But then they go on a run, they go to the finals, and uh beat Seattle, another team that people probably didn't quite expect to be a championship type contending team, but um, it was a seven game series. It was, you know, kudos to the bullets. Uh, again, this is Washington bullets at this time, not quite the wizards yet, but um, yeah, Dick Mata was a head coach. He's a longtime head coach with the, uh, the Chicago bulls, the bullets, and then later with the Dallas Mavericks uh, a little bit with the Sacramento Kings as well. Overall, a great head coach. And um yeah, championship team. You look at the roster, it starts and ends with uh, Elvin Hayes and Wes Unseld, you know, the front court inside. Um, and it's a unique pairing. Um, excuse me. Hayes, a 6'9", strong power forward. Wes Unseld, a 6'7", not seemingly very athletic center, but they were both phenomenal players. Hayes was the dominant scorer even though he wasn't a, an otherworldly scorer, he was the guy who was going to lead the team in scoring. Um, and their leading rebounder this season as well. So he was, you know, the leader of this team generally, but Unseld was the emotional leader. You know, when he came out in the late sixties, he was one of the, you know, one or two guys who won the league's MVP and rookie of the year in the same season. He was the league's MVP in his rookie year. And he's never, he was never a fantastic scorer, but his rebounding ability and his playmaking, interestingly enough, you know, I was actually just barely catching a bit of the uh, the play-in game, that Heat, uh, Heat Bulls play-in game. And uh, Stan Van Gundy, who was on the color commentary, he rightly pointed out Kevin Love's outlet passing ability, his passing for, a, you know, uh, a four, five type player. Um, and how the only guy who's ever done it better would be a Wes Unseld. And that's his forgotten legacy, his outlet passing. You know, he's a great rebounder, but then he turned it into that next step of he could get the team on the break. And that was really a huge part of the way this team ran. Outside of that half-court offense, you know, Elvin Hayes was going to dominate, but they also had Bob Dandridge, 
who had already won a championship in his own right. He was the starting small forward for that 71 Bucks team with then Lou Alcindor and uh, Oscar Robertson. And so Dandridge was an all-star himself. He was averaging about the same type of points as Elvin Hayes was. Um, and then he was going to work well in the offense with, you know, with the other guys. And so their front court was immaculate. Unselled Hayes and Dandridge on the, the three at the wing is incredible. Interestingly enough, the guards were kind of, a, you know, <clears throat> unconventional in some ways. You know, when they were contending earlier in the decade, you know, mid-70s, they had a point guard by the name of Kevin Porter, not related to the current day uh, Rockets guard, Kevin Porter Jr., actually a different relation entirely. But um, this Kevin Porter that played for the Bullets, he was a league leader in assists. He was one of the best point guards, but then they actually traded him and they were able to win a championship without him. So the the guards on this team, it was uh, Tom Henderson and Kevin Grevy. And uh, I will forgive you for not knowing them. I myself am not ultra familiar with either of them and their games. Um, both of them champions, neither of them, you know, all-stars, all-NBA, all-rookie, any of those type of players. But they they were decent pros, you know. <clears throat> Grevy was averaging about 15 points a game. He was a decent scorer along some of those other guys. Meanwhile, Henderson was kind of the de facto point guard, even though he had a lot of experience playing shooting guard later in his career. Um, you know, he'd lead, lead the team along with Unseld in the playmaking. He averaged about uh, five and a half assists for this team. And then off the bench, they had Mitch Kupchak. If you know that name, you know him for his run with the Lakers. He played for the Lakers, but also his uh, GM stint with the Lakers during the, the Kobe Bryant, Pau Gasol era. Um, and maybe even before and after that, but mainly in that era, he was the GM. But in his day, he was um, a bright prospect for the Bullets. He was a key part, um, you know, their true six man off the bench as a stout power forward, could play center. I mean, six nine, strong, about 16.7 rebounds a game. Um, and he was a great sixth guy to have on this team. And then they also had the waning years of Phil Chenier who was an all-star for them in the past um, in their, you know, era when they had um, Earl Monroe or no, excuse me. It was after Earl Monroe mainly that he was an all-star, but um, when Unseld was more in his prime, when they had just barely gotten Elvin Hayes, Phil Chenier was like that third star, that, that scoring guard. Um, And they had him in kind of the, as he's starting to, um, regress a little bit in his production, but he was still a good scorer off the bench for his minutes. He was getting, you know, great points. He was a big part of this team too. Um, <clears throat> outside of them, they only went a couple more guys deep um, really for the playoffs. They had um, Charles Johnson was another guy, um, another shooting guard. He was a little bit undersized, but a decent little player. Um, Larry Wright as well, who was your uh, another point guard. Again, that guard rotation was a little bit more heavy since the front court was already kind of taken care of. Um, but they did have some front court help off the bench with Greg Ballard, a guy who would go on to be um, a hall, uh, excuse me, close to an all-star in his own right. Not quite an all-star, but he was very solid. Um, six, seven, small forward, probably could play that power forward very easily because he was a great rebounder. Um, easily about seven, eight rebounds a game in, in his best years. And so, they had some solid depth. And again, it was a championship team. They get forgotten, um, especially because they weren't very flashy. You know, the f- closest flashy guy you have here is an Elvin Hayes. And even he, even he gets forgotten very easily in the mix of great 
um, bigs, especially because he was kind of a tweener. You know, he started out his career as a center with the Rockets. He was a center in college, but by the time he goes to the Bullets, he's excuse me, he's being shifted to power forward because they've got unselled. And so that maybe kind of hurts his legacy a bit, but he was one of the all-time greats, bar none. And um, him with unselled, that's one of the more unique and potent front court tandems. Um, and again, a great playoff run. They they sweep the Hawks in a at that time, a best of three series. Um, win in the conference semis versus the Spurs, who at that time were in the Eastern Conference. It was kind of a weird period for a few years there, late 70s, early 80s. In the conference finals, they beat um, the Dr. J-led Philadelphia 76ers, who at that time still had McGinnis, they had Caldwell Jones. You know, it was a great team. Um, they beat that team 4-2, to two, and again, they play the Supersonics in the finals and win. That Supersonics team would go on the very next year and win the championship themselves in a rematch with the same Bullets team. So it was a couple of years there where Supersonics and Bullets was the, the league's own you know, short run of what would become, you know, Celtics Lakers or Warriors Cavs or things like that. So yeah, great team underrated, especially for that record, a great playoff run and uh, definitely wanted to recognize them for what they were able to do. So that's our historic team for our franchise focus. And finally, my voice is just about gone again. We're talking about our notable and or legendary player our final segment for our final franchise focus for this season. And we're talking about Antoine Jameson. I felt like he was a great guy to talk about here. He's a forgotten player. Let's talk his resume first. Two-time All-Star, 99 All-Rookie Team member, and 2004 six-man. And you look at those stats or, or those accomplishments, and okay, he's you know, a solid player, kind of underwhelming. But um, his versatility is pretty underrated. He started his career. He, I mean, he's six, eight, two twenty-five, about so great size. He started his career as a small forward, a little bit of a bigger, small forward. who was a good rebounder and he was immediately wildly productive in golden state. I mean, rookie year was just okay. But the following season um, from 2000 to 2003, four seasons in golden state, this was when the warriors were pretty bad, but I mean, he was consistently easily 20 points per game, seven or eight rebounds a game um, with some defensive ability, getting getting some steals, the occasional block, you know, some assists too. And his shooting percentages were all right, you know, especially for his era, he would have been considered a pretty decent three-point shooter, even though he's only shooting about, you know, 30% from three. But um, yeah, wildly successful immediately, very talented. It was easily apparent. He goes on in 04 and he spends one season off the bench for that Mavericks squad. Um, it was in the midst of their contending years, you know, before they got Jason Kidd back in the lineup. This was um, the last year with Steve Nash on the lineup, 52 and 30. It was a great team. So he spends a year off the bench for Dallas. Again, wins that sixth man of the year because obviously he was overqualified to be off the bench. So he then goes on to Washington where he spends the majority of his career. He spent five and a half seasons in Washington. That's where he was. Um, let's see. Yeah. Both of his all-star appearances were in Washington. Oh, five and Oh eight. And he kept up that same level of production, but this time he's shifted to a power forward. Um, you know, the, the wizards have, um, it was Karan Butler at small forward at that point. 
This is that Gilbert Arenas team. Um, <clears throat> those Wizards that had some battles in the early rounds of the playoffs with the Cavs. And Jameson was maybe, I mean, Arenas was probably the best player, but Jameson was right there with him. Those two were kind of co-stars on this wizard squad of the mid to late 2000s. And again, consistent 20 points per game, but his rebounding was up even a bit to eight or nine rebounds a game easily. His steals were there. He was still dynamic and his shooting percentages went up. He was a legitimate three point threat. Um, in this, in the span from uh, 06 to 08, he averaged um, about five three-point attempts a game and shot about 36.6% from three, nearly 37%. For that era, that's unbelievable, you know, a bit ahead of his time. So he was a great player. Again, those Washington teams were fun. Um, <clears throat> it was a one of the better eras in recent memory for the Wizards. And so he was, a, you know, maybe the key player alongside Gilbert Arenas for that team. Um, <clears throat> after that, he was traded midseason in 2010 to the Cavs, where you would play, you know, one half of a season plus some playoffs with LeBron, you know, the, the teams that he uh, went up against in the playoffs much of the time. In that playoffs with LeBron, he was a great co-star and maybe was a sign of the Cavs being able to get some of that better talent to support LeBron in the playoff-type run. Um you know, Shaq was a guy starting at center. He was, you know, clearly towards the end of his career. This was the second to last season. But Antoine Jamison, meanwhile, still fairly young, still very productive alongside of LeBron and Mo Williams. I felt like, you know, they were kind of turning a page there. But, um, of course, LeBron would leave in free agency. But still, Jamison would have a couple more seasons in Cleveland, still playing just about that same type of level. His final two seasons, he goes to the Lakers and then the Clippers, respectively. By that point, he's in his mid to late 30s. He's towards the end of his career, and that's kind of the end of his career, you know. And he gets forgotten, but he was a great player, despite only being an all-star two times, you know, one time sixth man of the year. He was, you know, certainly one of the best players in Wizards history. I think that's easy to say. He still ranks uh, eighth all-time in career win shares for the Wizards franchise. Um <clears throat> And with how long that franchise history is and with some of the great teams they've had, that's still quite an accomplishment. You know, he did that in only five and a half seasons. So a great player all around. Um, a fun um, side note here. Um, he does currently work for the Washington Wizards. He has a front office role as a director of pro personnel. So that's cool to see that he's still involved in the franchise in that aspect. But um, yeah, a great player, great career. Um, shout out to Antoine, um, <coughs> excuse me, huge part of the wizard's history and certainly important to their, uh, their franchise's fabric, if you will. But, um, with that, that takes care of our final franchise focus for the season. Again, apologies for my voice throughout, um, the last few episodes. Um, as I said on the Friday, normal Friday episode, I do believe that by Monday, um, I should be all cleared up, ready to go back to form. You know, that's the hope, certainly. But um, that's also, you know, I think we should be there, you know, with a Saturday and a Sunday without a podcast. My voice should be recovered. My throat should be good, uh, good to go for Monday. But um, real quick, I'll plug our Instagram page, Crossover Across Time on Instagram, no capital letters. We share content from uh, the show, along with doing our best to share content from across the NBA. So it's a great place, an all-in-one type place 
along with the podcast itself to stay up to date on what's going on in the NBA as a whole. Um, real quick, thanks again, everyone, for listening, both new and experienced listeners alike. We really appreciate your support on the show. It really helps us out. Um, the next time you uh, you hear from me and the, and the other co-hosts will be um, Monday's show where we're going to be recapping the first round of uh, first games uh, from the first round and all that uh, all that comes with that. So again, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back with you on Monday. 